Hey, hey, folks, welcome back. Another exciting episode. Today, our special guest, zooming in from downtown Toronto, we have Brooke Shang. And Brooke is an experienced real estate entrepreneur, and she's a trainer. And I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation about her journey and some of the big things that uh, she sees people doing that that they probably shouldn't be in. We can probably help them avoid making some of the mistakes we've made in the past. So, Brooke, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Great to see you, Dave. So thank you for having me on. My pleasure. So for those folks who don't know you, and, and a lot of people do because you're all over the place on social media, that's for sure. But for those folks that don't know you yet, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in real estate investing. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of my background. I actually came from Taiwan. That's my background. I immigrated when I was in my teens. Uh -huh. And uh, like a lot of good Asian kids, went through school, went through corporate jobs. And um, the reason I got started, honestly, was because it didn't seem to work. I actually stayed at home for... a quite a period of time for 10 years. And when I went back to work, it didn't seem to work. We pay more taxes. We, are, we were actually not better off, I would say. And because um, we were in GTA, we actually didn't save a lot, even though we luckily had a condo. So the only wealth I saw was our condo appreciation. That's about it. Everything else was just basically covering the expenses, huh? Covering the expenses or... Yeah. We're, we were pretty good. We contributed to RSP because we want to reduce our tax. Right. That's why there's nothing left, basically. And um, my family is still in Taiwan. I had to travel back home to see my family. Yeah. So that's also a big expense. And um, that's when I thought, okay, if the only wealth I saw was in real estate and I wasn't trained at the time, if I get trained, then I can imagine how far I could go. That's, well, that's, that's that good Asian coming out at you as well, right? <laughs> Got to go to school and learn, learn, learn. And But this time you wanted to focus it on, on, on real estate and real estate investing. So you <laughs> saw that equity growth and, you know, mortgage pay down in your own condominium. How did, how did you start getting trained and what did you do first when it comes to actually investing in property? First, I got educated, not because, you know, being good Asian. Actually, I was worried about people judging me, thinking, okay, you got educated, you got a corporate job. Why did you invest in something else? Why did you invest in a different education? Mm -hmm. And that was quite an investment, considering we didn't have much saving. Mm -hmm. So I used a HELOC from our house, of course, to invest in myself. And contrary to what people think, Asian parents think, hey, you should go through traditional education, yeah. go through traditional jobs. But just to give you a, just to give you a background, Brooke, I'm mm -hmm. married to a pretty traditional Asian lady from Korea. So I, oh, I, no. I relate a little bit to what you're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought people would judge me. I didn't want to tell my parents. Surprisingly, when I told them, they, they said, if you want to invest in real estate and do this, it's good that you got yourself educated and do it properly. Yeah, so good. You never know. You never know. Perfect. Okay, yeah. so you got educated, then what? Because lots of people get educated and then do nothing <laughs> with it. 
I actually did my very first deal in a small town in Ontario called Windsor. Uh And at that time, everybody thought Windsor wasn't the place to go. And because we had our house and my husband didn't invest with me in the beginning for my own income, I couldn't qualify for different properties or bigger properties. Mm -hmm. So I started with a very small property around 110 Mm -hmm. plus $5,000 of renovation. Well, that's a pretty I, good I deal. What, how long ago was that, Brooke? What year was that? 2017. Okay, 2017. Yeah. Good deal. I'm just fast forwarding a few years. That's done very well. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, at that time, not too many people invested in Windsor. No. And I asked a few people who are already investing. They were telling me, Windsor never see any appreciation and look at the condition of the property. Mm-hmm. So you never know. I just look at it in number of words and I could qualify at the time. So was it, a, I thought, was it a single family home? Did it have a suite in it? What kind of a property was it? It was a single family home. We okay. added and added another bedroom in it. Okay. So from a three to four bedroom. And at the time, I imagine it was 110 plus 5,000 of renovation. The rent was 1,200. That's Sounds crazy low. Yeah. <laughs> the number could work at the time. So, I mean, we go for multifamily now because single family homes don't usually make sense when you invest. Right. At that time, it still worked. Got it. Yeah. And so then what, where has your real estate investing journey taken you, Brooke? Where, uh-huh. how many, how many single family homes did you do? And then when did you start moving up into multi? Actually, single family home, like I mentioned, didn't work that well when it comes to cash flow. So I pivoted to rent to own, so lease option. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing, I couldn't qualify for anymore. So that actually drove me to find a lot of joint venture partnerships and get a little bit more creative. So we did have the qualification at the time, my husband and I, however, because we wanted to move. So we kept that qualification in order to qualify for a mortgage when we do find a house. For your own personal residence. Problem residents, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So that kind of given me the motiva- motivation that just not just to see if it works and find a home for ourselves, also to learn more about real estate. And part of it, not just the qualification, is also to be able to afford the mortgage. For example, additional one hundred thousand a year in BC in Ontario. It's been crazy since twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we just save and continue to save waiting to buy, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't go anywhere. Exactly. So you got into lease options, rent to own type deals. Mm-hmm. How how many of those did you do and, and how long were you doing that for? Is that or is that still your primary focus these days? Um, not right now. So on average at the time, probably six to ten per year. So constantly people ask how many properties or how many tours you have. Well, it's and, always changing, right? With those with that strategy, yeah. However, with lease option, it's one property, but each property, it's the equivalent of 10 doors in terms of cash flow. Mm-hmm. So the good thing is it helped me to see the power of, of real estate investing in cash mm-hmm. flow. At the same time, I'm in Ontario, so I don't want to deal with tenant loss anymore. Yeah, that's why I don't want to own any more lease options or single family homes. Um, at the same time, do 
during this period, it went pretty well. And most, most of, well, all of the deals were joint venture until we purchased our home. We freed up. We realized, Hey, now we know we're not tied up and we know, okay, our goal is reached. If you ask me what our investment goal was, it was always to move to a bigger house. Got it. Yeah. And that's one goal. The other goal is just to see that it works. So I don't have to worry about my job and the cash flow that generated from lease option was able to show me that, Hey, you could actually replace your income. However, so, so approximately when, when you're coaching people about, because that's kind of the, the dream for a lot of people is to be able to become full-time real estate investors, mm-hmm. replace their J-O-B income. So I know times change and everything like that, but Brooke, give or take for the average person, how many rent to own properties would they have to have on the go with joint venture partners mm-hmm. in order for it to replace their income? That's a very good question. So I think everybody should have a financial goal to make it really clear. Mm-hmm. And for example, for a property around, cause I have lease option from 160,000 all the way to um, 500. Mm-hmm. And you can see that it's usually a starter home or family starting to get into home ownership. Mm-hmm. So it could range from, I think the lowest like 200 for a smaller deal all the way to five or 600 for me. However, if you're able to qualify by yourself, each lease option is over a thousand dollars or so. Per month you're talking about monthly cash flow. Monthly cash flow. Mm -hmm. So we usually talk about financial freedom. I don't know if you talk about that a lot as well. I'm sure a lot of guests do. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the number to cover your expenses or to replace your working income. And uh, say, for example, you are replacing an income of $5,000. I was looking at slightly more because we have a family of four. So each deal, say, for example, joint venture, $500. So So that's 500 to you or 500 that you split with your joint venture partner? It's usually over $1,000. Okay. So you you share that with 50-50 with your JV partner. Got it. Yeah. Like I mentioned, when I started, all my lease options were joint venture partnerships. So say, for example, it's $500, then you only need 10 of these deals. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I have multifamilies too at the same time. People are waiting to stabilize. That's the word we use. A lot of the times, let's say if our goal is $120, for example, per door, per, per door to cash flow. Right. So that means for each lease option, you basically need five or six um, doors. Yeah, to, to make up for one rent-to-own deal, you would have to have a five or a six-plex <laughs> with, yeah. with a traditional kind of cash flow. Yeah, uh-huh. That's interesting, Brooke. I was, I yeah. was in the rent-to-own business for a number of years myself. Mm-hmm. So I always, always enjoy talking about that. So when you were doing rent homes and joint ventures, were you doing just like the, the simple 50-50 split where your JV partner brought in the cash and the credit for the deal? You found the oh tenant buyer, you you found the you yeah. found the tenant buyer, you found the property, uh, and yeah. then you shared profits. Is that kind of how you did it? Um oh my god, we have so many different ways of, of making it creative. Uh-huh. I've done 40, I've done 60, I've done working it with two partners, yeah. I've done it with 
we find another partner to come up with a down payment and then finance the down payment and just find a qualifier. So there's so many different ways. Mm-hmm. However, usually the default is 50-50. Yeah. And I would say, yes, we do get a little bit more creative. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that that is that is good. I always, always love seeing what other people are doing with that. Very, very cool. All right. So at the same time, you were looking at multifamily properties. So at the time we're recording this, we're kind of mm-hmm. halfway through 2023 already. My goodness. Yeah. Time flies when we're having fun. So what what's your main focus these days, Brooke? Actually, I'm focusing on everything basically, because mm-hmm. right now in terms of financial goals, we, we are more open to different things. I'll tell you the funny thing is actually what helped me get to that one deal that helped me get to my financial freedom goal was actually private lending. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't think I would focus on private lending. I actually did quite a few of those. And the reason being, you know, it's quite passive. Mm-hmm. And I realized, hey, I have so many things on my plate. I want to teach. I want to spend time with my family. We're building a home. We're doing an infill projects. So that actually gives me, when we talk about, everybody talks about passive income. Actually, I think you still have to put in the work. And even lease option, yes, it's passive. However, we did a lot of work qualifying the tenants. Oh, I, yeah, there's not much passive about it. And then you have to replace it after two or three years. And Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's 2023 now. Basically, when I started from 2017, I had a few deals. However, I didn't really ramp up until, say, 2018. So it's actually right now I start to see the tenant buyers ending the programs, succeeding mm-hmm. in it. So, like you said, three, four years seems like a long time. That's why I thought, okay, this is a probably a little bit of long-term strategy because you know lending could be only a six-month deal once the deal is done or one mm-hmm. year. And then I realized even lease option, rent to own, it still seems like short term. You know, if you're focusing on long-term goals as an investor, if right. you're constantly in the field, in the trenches. So, yeah, so I'm thinking it's not really short term, it's actually midterm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, yes, after after a while, you have to constantly look for new deals. Yeah, and when I was in that business, uh, it, it can be a very, very lucrative business unless the market goes down on you. And then then it's not much fun. <laughs> oh, uh, uh. Which which hasn't happened very often in the GTA. I'm not sure what, which other markets you're investing in, but if they go flat or they go down, then that puts a real wrench in in the plans on a, on a rent-to-own type deal versus the uh-huh. longer-term buy-and-hold type properties. You're more, sure, the cash flow is not as good, but you're you're able to really profit from all of the different profit centers in a real estate deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of ride those, those ups and downs a little bit easier. Cause you're, you know, I, I, I kind of started to see rent owned deals as a bit of a, a midterm flip. You don't have to yes. get in and out of them in six months, but if you're trying to get in and out in two or three years, and interest rates crank up or property prices flatten or go or go negative. Well, now you've got to extend and then your tenant buyer may or may not want to do that. In which case, if they leave, now you're stuck with a property that 
probably won't cash flow as a regular rental. So then, yeah, there's 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 complications that come along with with that will come along with it. Yeah. So knock on wood, like you said, luckily all my properties or all the lease options had a lot of equity in it. Yeah, and that's good. Just I think because of the timing, like I said, when I start from 2017, 2018, mm -hmm. I actually until now I've never seen property price went down, and mm -hmm. even now the markets I I'm in is kind of flat, not really went down. So I started to look into Alberta, not because of property value, et cetera. It's mainly because of the tenant laws. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. did you, well, that's a good question to bring up then, Brooke, because you're in Ontario and for our American listeners, different provinces in Canada, just like states in the U.S., have different rules and regulations around dealing with tenants. And in Ontario, where Brooke lives, the laws are much, much more favorable towards the tenants than towards landlords. And it's just a, you know, it's, and it's got nothing but worse throughout COVID and after COVID. It's it's a nightmare. Uh, however, there are other provinces that are much more landlord friendly, like Alberta, like Saskatchewan, like some of the maritime provinces as well. Here in BC, we've got lousy <laughs> tenant, tenant landlord laws as well, Brooke. Not not quite as bad as Ontario, but pretty close. So yeah, yeah, that I can see that being a big appeal. But have you had any in in your experience over the last six years or so? Have you had any difficulties with landlord tenancy laws and regulations? Yeah, I have one right now. That's close to London, Ontario. If you're familiar with Ajio, yeah. the um, cities here. And uh, the tenant hasn't paid since January. And, and this we're, is we're in June right now. So that's six months mm -hmm. with no rent coming in. And you can't evict them. That's, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's so issue. Have, you even got, have you even been able to get a hearing? Not yet. Yeah. Um, the first time they didn't pay, we still have quite a lot of options. The first time we got a hearing date in three months, and as soon as we had the date, the tenant paid in full. However, they haven't been paying on time. Uh, this year, I think they realized it's taking quite some time, and we still didn't have a date. They they've become professional tenants. It sounds like was this a is this yeah. a normal tenancy or a rent to own deal? It's a rent to own deal. Yeah. So they have about thirty four thousand in in option consideration in total. One thing we suspect is, are they going to just wait till $34,000 runs out? Because yeah. the property value is above $500,000. So their rent is over $2,600. So, you know, it's not going to take long before. Yeah. 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 That, that I'm sorry to hear that. Is there, is there the ability mm -hmm. To structure the deal so it's more like an agreement for sale instead of a lease with an option to purchase? There is the opportunity. I think mm -hmm. the problem is it's always the lease contract and another contract. Yeah. So regardless, as long as you have a lease, because even if they have agreement for sale, they're going to be in the property. So if they're in the property, you're going to have a lease. As long as they have that, you will need landlord tenant board. And, yeah to get them out. So I've, I've talked to my paralegal about this. He said, even if you have a good option contract, the good thing is you don't have to worry that they mention, I, hey, I, I put an option. And the tenant board doesn't care about that, which means it's a separate contract. 
Right. So however you structure the sale, the option, the agreement for sale, doesn't matter. There is a lease. So. Well, I, th I thought with an agreement for sale, you didn't need to have the lease because it's an agreement for sale and you're kind of structuring it as, uh, you know, payments over time or something like that. But, but again, I, I haven't done it in Ontario, so I'm not sure, but I thought that was the big benefit was you got um, rid of the lease yeah. because it's an agreement for sale. And, and if they renege on that agreement, you can avoid landlord tenancy because it's not through the landlord tenancy board. But again, I'm not, I haven't done that in Ontario myself. I just know mm -hmm. that that's one of the big benefits that they talk about doing that, especially in Alberta, um, is it avoids the whole landlord tenancy thing. Yeah, I was going to say that because in Ontario, agreement for sale hasn't been that popular. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, for example, in Alberta, so my reason lease options are all in Alberta. Like you said, the appreciation, we set it low. So compared to the five or six, or I even had seven or eight when the market was high. And even that, they had huge um, equity in it. However, it's different in, in Alberta. As long as the number works, I will, I will get into it. That mm -hmm. doesn't matter. So we mentioned agreement for sale. However, if some, somebody mentioned it to me, I just haven't anybody who have accepted an offer for agreement for sale the property right. owner say for example yeah got it no that makes sense brooke well this it sounds like you're having a very very interesting real estate journey and i know you're you're part of some interesting groups that, that help a lot of people out if people want to connect with you and find out more brooke where can they go if you look for brooke Sheng in any social media there's only me it's not a very common name for chinese <laughs> So that's easy. <laughs> and it's Brooke with an E in case you're, you're just listening to this. So yeah. Brooke Shang. All right. Fantastic. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun, Brooke. Thank you very much for sharing some of your experience. And I always love hearing the, the story of, of how people create that financial freedom for themselves. And, uh, and my hat's off to you for doing it so quickly. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. I've seen people who have done it even quicker than me. And I have my book in the background. And when I have that title, Financial Freedom, I have I didn't reach that goal yet. So sometimes it's true, you put it up there and I just had a title, I didn't have a book then. It might just happen. And you feel like you have the accountability to make it happen too. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, you give yourself some motivation there. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Dave. All right, everybody, take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you. Oops.